for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome back. We're now at number two, this live broadcast here on TNT. Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Uh, it is Thursday. A really fantastic conversation uh, just before the top of the hour news headlines with Michael Tracy, the American journalist. Been following Michael's work for quite some time, had an opportunity to actually meet him uh, and speak to him uh, recently uh, before in late 2023. And he is really sort of one of the best people, I think, to keep an eye on for the 2024 elections because he's really going to be spotting and seeing things that a lot of people aren't seeing. And he's going to be focusing on stuff that definitely is not going to get covered and those sort of details, many of them consequential, actually. So, yeah, in terms of independent journalism, Michael Tracy's definitely in the mix of journalists you want to be following who are doing their own thing uh out on the scene politically and also internationally as well he's done some good geopolitical work too uh so listen uh we're going to get into some international news uh this hour and uh speaking of the elections uh, in 2024 a big deal has been made about taylor swift and travis kelsey this is the uh i think the tight end for the kansas city chiefs they're in the super bowl uh it's coming up this week taylor swift is a big pop star uh they're in a relationship and they're trying to tie this to the 2024 election can taylor swift swing the 2024 election so a lot of people are calling this a a psyop um, so it's pretty clear. I mean, at least to me, I'm guessing that uh, Taylor Swift is a Democrat, uh, that she'll be maybe endorsing Joe Biden or whatever. I don't know about uh, Travis Kelsey. But, yeah, this is kind of a psyop, uh, really. And uh, whatever the case may be, maybe uh Taylor Swift might have some sort of moment or whatever, or maybe her new boyfriend will pull her into the conservative sphere. Who knows? I don't even know what his politics are. If they're in a professional athlete in America, there's usually sort of a 70, 80% chance Hollywood or pro sports that you're going to be liberal and definitely voting Democrat. At least that's what you'll say publicly anyway. But here's the point. If you look back at the 2016 election, for instance, every single celebrity lined up for Hillary Clinton. Okay, Katy Perry was the biggest pop star of the moment back then. She had full-throated uh, endorsement of Hillary Clinton, even lent her her big song, uh, Eye of the Tiger, whatever it was called, to, to be Hillary's campaign theme. Okay, and so, you know, from Camp Clinton at the time thought, you know, we can do no wrong here. We've got this in the bag. We've got the entirety of Hollywood. We've got the music industry. Uh, we've got everybody. They're all on our side. We've got the corporations. Everybody's in our camp how can we possibly lose we've got the youth vote uh we're going to romp this election in 2016 donald trump is going to be history going to be buried under a smoldering heap of democratic dust on that campaign trail but that didn't actually happen so all of those celebrity endorsements the entirety of the mainstream media the whole of hollywood the whole of the music industry everybody backing hillary in 2016 and she couldn't win a general election Okay, so what does that tell you? That tells you that these celebrity endorsements do not swing votes 
the way maybe they used to. I think this is a vain attempt somehow to sort of engineer some sort of hype or public relations, uh, free advertising for the Democratic Party, you could say. This is what Robert Bridge, who uh, actually writes op-eds for RT, he's American, living in Russia. He's one of the most canny political commentators. He's written an op-ed on this actual subject uh, here, which you can read. If you're not in Europe, you could probably read it. If you got a VPN, just put in Robert Bridge, Robert Bridge uh, in RT. If you're in the UK or in Europe, you won't be able to read this. I'll drop the link in the TNT chat room anyway. The forbidden link, uh, we'll drop it in there. But yeah, that's kind of interesting how that's shaping up. Um, and again, we were saying ignore this. This is basically just a psyop. It's not really going to go anywhere. Uh, all these endorsements don't mean anything. They don't change the facts on the ground. You know what else? You know what else doesn't change the facts on the ground? The propaganda they're heaping on doesn't change the facts on the ground either. It doesn't with these conflicts. We see this time and time again. They plow all this money into propaganda. Look at the Israelis. They're losing the information war. Their their officials, their politicians admit it. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars to try to win hearts and minds in the West, and they're getting buried on social media uh, with negative Israeli comments and posts and so forth, and being beaten by the Palestinian uh, camp uh, 16 to 1 by orders of magnitude. And I can tell you the Palestinians aren't spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, with propaganda operations and public relations. They're just not. The people are doing it. It's coming organically. The same with Ukraine. Public opinion is fallen out of favor with this proxy war, despite everything that's been spent, all the resources that's been plowed into it. Winning the whole Twitter war for two years, apparently. We're told anyway. Hasn't changed facts on the ground, though. Doesn't bring Ukraine anywhere closer to victory. It doesn't, and the same with the Israel Gaza situation, all of that propaganda, all of this media buyout, it's not going to change public opinion. In fact, it's going in the other direction. So, so why, what's the point of this onslaught? Is it just a business in itself? Who is actually benefiting from it? Well, media buyers are benefiting from it. Uh, people who are in positions uh, where they can produce the videos, the ads you can see, all these pro-Israeli ads on YouTube pre-rolls. Literally in front of pal pro-Palestinian news reports, you'll see uh, pre-rolls of Israeli ads uh, talking about how they suffered on October 7th and you need to send money to the Israeli appeal and so forth because the people there are afraid and and suffering from anxiety. Meanwhile, there's a genocide going on a couple of miles away over the wall. I mean, that's how crazy the world looks right now. Let's uh, let's get over to our uh, correspondent right now. Basil Valentine uh, has just joined the call right now, live and direct uh, from the sunny shores of Albion. Basil, how are you? Good afternoon, Patrick. Good to be with you. And hello to our viewers and listeners all around the world. But it's anything but sunny. It's blowing a gale and pouring with rain yeah this is february in england yeah i know and you love it you absolutely love it you the english can't get enough of that great january february stint uh it's a good time to stay indoors and get some work done so this is uh this is how britain there isn't conquered any the world alternative. that's right um now just to bring us up to date uh the latest from this country with respect to the genocide is that the international center for Justice for Palestinians uh, will be instructing solicitors in the UK 
to write to the British government to establish the exact position it is taking following revelations that Israel's controversial six-page dossier claiming that Hamas uh, was uh, embedded in the United Nations Relief and Works Agency lacked any evidence, but nevertheless still managed to trigger massive defunding of the said UNRWA. Any unlawful decision will become the subject of judicial review proceedings. The IECJP, that's International Centre for Justice for Palestinians, considers any state that defunds humanitarian aid agencies following the ICJ's findings of plausible genocide by Israel in Gaza as an act that could breach its obligations to prevent genocide under the Geneva Convention. Coupled with the supply of financial and military support to Israel, this could amount to complicity in genocide under Article 3. So for all that, uh, Tony Blinken is uh, apparently irritating the Israelis by talking about ceasefires, hostage release, and increasing the flow of aid into Gaza. The fact that his government is still supplying all the weapons, indeed this afternoon, Senate Republicans are meeting behind closed doors to discover to discuss whether they will support the Democrats' plan B on advancing the uh, emer so-called emergency extra $14 billion in uh, foreign aid, most of which will be spent on munitions and weaponry for Israel. I want to talk to you about that funding uh, in a moment, Basil. We're back to the UN Relief and Works Agency, the UNRWA scandal. So is it your understanding that this whole Farago, when it started, has turned out to be a hoax, which has been drifted out by the Israeli uh, information political machine uh, for, for various reasons, not to mention the fact that UNRWA provided a lot of the evidence for the ICJ genocide case that South Africa filed. Um, but has it? Is, can we say that it was a hoax, that Hamas was infiltrating UNRWA? What, what do you what's your final assessment uh well as i say the channel 4 investigation came up with no evidence at all that the six-page dossier was basically a tissue of lies like the beheaded babies the babies in ovens the rape stories all the other horror events that were supposed to have taken place on uh, october the 7th the atrocities that were you know in the famous words of noam chomsky used to manufacture consent for the genocide we now see underway. Uh, only yesterday, though, uh, according to Israel Hayom, uh, when meeting Blinken in uh, Tel Aviv, uh, Netanyahu showed uh, Blinken proof, mind you, that's the key word, Patrick, proof of the misuse of the UNRWA headquarters underground premises for terrorist tunneling purposes. Tunnels. During the expanded meeting between Blinken and Prime Minister Netanyahu on Wednesday, the senior American diplomat was apparently shown photos of a giant tunnel that was exposed in recent days underneath the central headquarters of the UNRWA, no less. The meeting was attended by senior officials from both sides. The Israeli leader showed the U.S. diplomat 
proof of the underground prayer emphasis for apparent terrorist purposes. The tunnel revealed in the meeting was found in the Rimal neighborhood of Gaza. So th that means, of course, that uh, Israel can now go on murdering children for weeks more because uh, Blinken was effectively humiliated yesterday. All his rounds of shuttle diplomacy, visiting Qatar, Cairo, and everywhere else came to a juddering halt in Tel Aviv, where uh, Netanyahu told him that total victory is in reach and he has no interest whatsoever in any kind of ceasefire. Well, I'll have you know, Basil, that there's a giant underground facility uh, below Washington, D.C. that the U.S. government has uh, in the event of a continuity of government crisis like a war. And considering how many times Gaza has been bombed by the Israelis over the last 20 years, um, I would be surprised if they didn't have an extensive underground uh, tunneling system and facilities to have sort of things that are ne necessary to have for their own defense or for, you know, food storage or supplies or whatever, or continuity of government uh, based on the fact they've been bombed so many times. So it's like, it's not something that should be a surprise to anybody. And in fact, all governments um all around the world have such contingencies so this whole idea that uh they they're not allowed to have tunnels uh in the in the face of so many bombing raids by the idf from you know since hamas came into to power in 2006 so um kind of ridiculous talking point at this point do you think this is just going to fizzle out uh, eventually they've kind of over egged the pudding on this I think, but there's this is one of their strongest talking points, Basil, if you want to call it that. It's the tunnels. It seems to still have some traction with uh, those who are, you know, sympathetic to or towards the Israeli narrative. What do you think? Well, the only tunnels that I've seen revealed in recent weeks are the ones dug by Zionists in New York. I haven't seen any other tunnels and. Uh, we don't know quite why they were dug, do we? I mean, there were most extraordinary revelations. Um, Israel Hayom, this gives you an indication into the way Israeli media operates, uh, finishes its piece by saying, the revelation about the tunnels comes amid ongoing revelations, ongoing revelations, that means there's supposedly more to come, that the staff of the UN Relief Agency for the Palestinians were actively involved in the October the 7th attack, no evidence, um, and we're also disseminating incitement against Israel, including through various platforms, including as teachers. So you see, unless you love your captive in true Stockholm syndrome fashion, then you're working for Hamas. Inciting, inciting. Uh, that's that's an interesting accusation. Inciting. I don't know what you could possibly be inciting. So. Uh, it's getting more ridiculous by the day. I do see, Basil, I'm going to say, to just to wrap up this point, maybe you can give us your comment. The whole propaganda thing is just kind of crumbling. Uh, and, and and especially in the wake of the uh, ICJ interim ruling, that, that really was, a lot of people played that down as insignificant and inconsequential. But I, I do think it, it did shift the conversation in one direction pretty squarely. And I think a lot of people are just playing catch-up uh, and will be continuing to play catch-up to that trend line uh, in the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, your thoughts on on that side of things? 
Well, I wish I could agree with you more, Patrick, but it seems that the Zionist-aligned governments of the United Kingdom, United States, the European Union, um, and one or two others, but not the whole of Europe, Belgium and Spain, Ireland notably have sort of broken ranks. Um, they just seem to endlessly double down on their support for the genocide. Um, it's as if the uh, ICJ simply doesn't exist. It's completely and utterly irrelevant uh, as far as Lincoln, Biden, Sunak and the rest of them are concerned. They haven't in any meaningful way sought to apply the kind of pressure necessary uh, on the Israelis to stop the killing. And they show no sign of doing so. So uh, public opinion is another matter. Um, you know, we see daily demonstrations. You name a city, there is a demonstration calling for an immediate ceasefire. Washington, New York, Manchester, London, Bristol, uh, all over Europe. Every day there are protests. And they will, of course, continue because the killing is continuing. And according to Netanyahu, the killing is going to continue. I mean, a lot of people are saying, of course, that his own personal position is severely threatened by um, any kind of ceasefire because then, uh, of course, the corruption charges come back and uh, people start examining exactly what's been going on. And he needs this sort of endless kinetic motion of war. Uh, and also, of course, if there was a ceasefire at the moment, uh, that would mean Hamas being left effectively in place. And um, they would therefore, in spite of the appalling casualties uh, inflicted on the Palestinian people, Hamas would likely claim some sort of victory. And uh, that is completely unacceptable to Netanyahu. So the killing machine must go on. Well, breaking uh, breaking news, uh, Tucker Carlson has confirmed that the uh, interview with Vladimir Putin will air on X, Twitter at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, United States Time. Uh, so for your money, that will be, I believe, 11 p.m. UK Time. It's about five hours difference there across the pond. Uh, and for us here, uh, where we're currently at, that'll be 4 p.m. Uh, Mountain Time. So I'm um, looking forward to that interview. And uh, what what are your thoughts on the whole Tucker Carlson Farraga? We were talking about it with Michael Tracy, who's a fascinating political commentator uh, in the first hour. What, what, what do you think about this whole controversy uh, with Tucker well, and Putin? Kim, yeah, Kim.com ran an online poll asking people if they thought Tucker should be free to interview Putin as planned. And he got a 97% approval. So 97% of people, quite rightly, think that uh, it's absolutely fair and right that uh, Tucker be interviewing Putin. It's only really the propagandists that don't want uh, an honest conversation with Putin because uh, they've spent years, decades almost demonizing him, uh, painting him into a corner as, as Michael said, the next iteration of Adolf Hitler. And the ludicrousness of those claims uh, would inevitably or will inevitably be exposed when you hear him talk like a normal, rational human being who perhaps most importantly, and I hope he gets the chance to say this, 
has no intention whatsoever of extending extending the Russian spiritual military operation beyond the Ukraine and the ethnic Russian areas it is currently occupying. Now, of course, the talking heads in Washington will no doubt say, oh, he's lying. He's lying. He's only saying that, you know, if there's peace in Ukraine, he will invade Romania, Sweden, Finland, everywhere. But, you know, hopefully uh, it'll get a chance to say that that's completely idiotic. And the interview would therefore serve as a, a vehicle for de-escalating tension, which is the single most important thing we can do at the moment with these childish idiots running foreign policy. De-escalate tension. That's exactly what Putin wants, Basil Valentine. You're applying Russian disinformation right there. You've been caught in the act, red-handed. What say you? Guilty. Yeah. Uh, well, this is it. You know, um, the, the, the quality of the conversation around international diplomacy has deteriorated to the point where um, you are apparently, you know, effectively a Kremlin spokesman if you are prepared to talk to the Russians. I mean, by that token, Nixon was Mao's stooge when he went to Peking back in 1972 or whenever it was. That was you know? called Red China uh, back then. They called it Red China back then. That's right. Uh, and of course, there was no bigger uh, Kremlin stooge and um, stool pigeon than Ronald Reagan. I mean, my goodness, he was prepared to meet Mikhail Gorbachev and shake hands and do a disarmament deal. This is abysmal stuff. Reagan, who knew? A secret red. Maybe Tucker will tell uh, uh, Putin to tear that wall down. Tear that wall down, Vlad. Tear it down. What wall? The wall that NATO seems to be building uh, along the Polish-Baltic uh, border regions as well. So they've absolutely yes. militarized Europe, Basil. And uh, so the Tucker, the Tucker Putin interview, I think it's going to be good. Uh, I think it's it'll be. I'm more interested to hear the reactions to see the reactions. I think they're going over the top on this. And what what my hope is here, Basil, is that this over the top reaction to this, this the hysterics. The histrionics, as, as Michael Tracy was calling it, um, that this is going to sort of hopefully, hopefully accelerate the demise of these ridiculous talking points and bring people back to some normality in terms of discourse, because things have just been insane, really, since 2016, the whole Russiagate thing. I see all of this as just an extension of Russiagate. It's just still living rent free yes. in the minds of Americans. Uh, before we That's break, right. I'll give you the floor. Final three minutes. Go ahead, Basil. Uh, well, uh, it's gone as far as people like Guy Hofstadt, the former Belgian prime minister, now member of the European Parliament, saying that Tucker should face sanctions and a possible travel ban for having gone to Russia to talk to Putin. I mean, absolutely ludicrous stuff. Uh, uh, I mean, that is naked authoritarianism. Right there. Yeah, uh, Guy Verhofstadt uh, uh, from the EU. He's from Belgium. He's got a very interesting hairstyle. It's a type of a comb over that reminds yes. us of a little man back in the 1930s Germany with a tiny little mustache, has the very same hairstyle as Guy does. I find that to be somewhat of a coincidence, one could claim, maybe not. One could claim that the comb over is a fundamentally dishonest hairstyle because, of course, it's <laughs> trying to, to mask your baldness. If you're bald, admit it, you know. 
the comb over is a fake. Um, but I just want to come back quickly to um, uh, another report from an Israeli newspaper um, about the humanitarian aid into Gaza, because this is frankly the crux of the matter. Billions of people are starving. Um, and it's widely been reported that limiting humanitarian aid is associated with Israel's right, whether Belzalel Smotrich or Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir or protesters, including hostages, relatives, who've been out on the streets trying to block the aid trucks physically from entering Gaza. But in fact, so-called centrist ministers like Benny Gantz, who is a member of the War Cabinet, and Gaddy Eisenkot, a War Cabinet observer, who are viewed by the Biden administration as their more moderate sounding board in Israel, have also called for a suspension of humanitarian aid. They argue that under the current system, most of the aid ends up going to Hamas. Ah, uh, yes, in tunnels. That's right. And one alternative they're putting up for discussion, get this, is for the IDF to distribute the aid. Well, only today, uh, once again, seen the IDF shooting at people, collecting water and waiting for the aid convoys. So, well, if the, uh, I think it's from an Israeli point of view, you know, based on their pattern of behavior, Basel makes perfect sense. If they distribute the aid, it'll be easier for them uh, in their minds to uh, shoot uh, more civilian targets by using the aid as uh, bait. Isn't I mean, uh, we're, we're making very dark gallows humor, macabre uh, well, statements uh, here, uh, but the whole thing is out of control. Well, I mean, the. It's as, as I say, the, the ICJ is completely irrelevant to the Israelis that paid absolutely no heed to its uh, initial findings or demands at all. Gantz, supposedly a moderate, uh, this week called for aid to be distributed through international entities not connected to Hamas, even if this requires stopping or reducing quantities. Now, that's the polar opposite of what the ICJ demands. But we don't hear the uh, Western leaders condemning him, do we? In fact, you have to dig around in Israeli newspapers to uncover that kind of information. It does exist, by the way. A lot of stuff is in the Israeli press, which does not actually get disseminated uh, in the Western mainstream media, uh, not least of all the whole debunking of a lot of the October 7th official narrative. A lot of the, the cracks in that actually appeared in Haaretz, the Times of Israel, Ynet. These are mainstream Israeli publications. So, yeah, you're very correct to point that out, uh, Basil Valentine. Let's take a break right now with TNT. Thank you, Basil, for joining us this week on the network. Really appreciate your analysis. Thank you, Patrick. Top of the hour news headlines coming up in about 30 minutes. But before that, we're going to be joined by Christian James, our research assistant for the show, for a look at the Green New Deal mania that's still infecting the minds of European politicians. All this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Hennessy, your host. We'll be right back. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means, because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. 
And it was just meant to evoke a response, and it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think, without actually having to think. It's 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 a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, you, these are bad guys, and uh, a moderate in in, in our lingo. I mean, let's see, it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah 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 party in the third world meaning well they're guys we approve of and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of Helen Neuroth Taylor on today's news talk TNT when you can point me to an industry to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month virtually nine out of ten Americans that's real that's substantive that's important and that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement. It's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the final hour here, this live broadcast. I want to bring on to the program our research assistant for the show. Christian James is joining us from the United Kingdom. Uh, Christian, uh, how are you doing, by the way? How's the weather? Uh, the weather right now. The weather right now is rather interesting, actually. If you were to look across the red top newspapers or you were to look at the Daily Express or any of the kind of news blurbs right now, they're all talking about how the weather is so bad right now. Uh, it's so terrible. We're facing like a new meta snowstorm I saw this morning. I no idea that, what that classification is. But, What's uh, it called now? Like, is, is this a new term? A meta snowstorm? A meta snowstorm, yeah. Not wow. mega. This They're going for another level. This is... That's a snowstorm. I, I, so we've had polar po- polar vortex, the beast yep. from the east. Do you remember the beast from the east? I do. I'm, I'm two and three. <laughs> and, and, well, and now it's the meta, the meta snowstorm. Yeah, the Arctic snow blast and all these kind of like uh, buzzwords designed to drive fear into people. Um, I did actually start on a... On a on a related note to that, I saw NOAA, the um, the weather survey uh, company, they're, they're just about to launch what they call the F6 classification for storms that actually begins next week. So they've gone from, when it comes to categories and storms, you have like the F1 or F0 actually to F5, and they're about to add an F6 to that because they think over the next uh, 10 years, there's going to be uh, an exacerbation of storm um it's out there so they need to add a new classification to that and i think what might happen is they're just going to condense down the other ones really and add another one in there so that the shock and the the, the ore value because of already the storms already have names on them are designed to make us you know feel personalized or that they're personally coming in for the attack and uh, you mentioned the beast from the east i mean if you can remember that was like 2000 what 17 18 and that was kind of the um the Russia um, spin in the media, and that just added to that. And it was kind of like Russia are sending us modified weather um, as the Daily Express, and that, that whole panic designed to just terrorize people across England. It was awful. Um, even yeah, though, they, of course, they had big, across- big giant cooling fans they erected uh, over uh, just you know west of <laughs> Moscow, and they were just blowing that cold Siberian weather into Europe in order to traumatize uh, residents <laughs> in Europe, and of course the UK. Uh, getting the tail end of the beast from the east and it seemed to work a charm uh the the tabloids loved it so yeah i guess it might as well be real you know because people get freaked out by it so weaponizing of the weather uh this is all part of the psychological conditioning around uh green policies the green new deal all things green 
saving the environment, stopping man-made global warming, et cetera. And on the energy front, it's not really adding up, is it? The sums uh, on this wind no, energy really as well. No, they're really not, Patrick. So uh, in the UK right now, particularly, so there was a, there was a certain point last week, actually, where more than 60% of the UK's power was actually driven entirely by the wind. It um, happily ties into the, the wind story. Um, but the wind has actually grabbed the headlines over the last couple of days in a very different angle. Of course, yeah, a multi-billion corporation owned by Jeff Bezos, Amazon, has uh, purchased uh, a large... Well, actually, in 2001, they made the purchase, actually, for what would be the massive um, wind farm rollout across the, uh, the Moray Wind Farm, which is located off northwest Scotland. So now Amazon has bought into that even more so. They've now bought a 70% um, stake in that company. And... Um, so it was driven by green policies that this was to happen. So they were subsidized by the UK government to say, hey, we this is going to help support our green initiatives, our green programs, our environmental um, push towards net zero. But it seems that Amazon really have done this for themselves because they, they want to power up their own equipment using their own wind farms. So actually, this is not to supply the government, although I guess they will um, power the grid and will obviously get a, a kickback out of that, but really is to prioritize their own um, initiatives and own uh, hardware here in the UK and infrastructure. So this was originally design designed as a bit of a positive spin on what would be um, the wind farm and the initiatives behind that. But it's now being seen as a bit of a power grab, and it appears that the government has just clicked onto this. Um, the papers have now run with this story going, hey, wait a minute, you've got uh, all this power over there, and we're giving it to, um, well, frankly, is Amazon. What are we doing about it? How are they? Have, how have they been allowed to do that? So the committees for the, for the um, energy and the net zero um, committee have been speaking about this over the last couple of days because they now realise ultimately they've been hoodwinked that um, that they're going to take the money uh, effectively and the energy for themselves entirely. But not, they're not the only company to do this because Google also did this a little while back in 2022. They've got a wind farm, obviously, located off the off the south of England. So. We're now seeing this kind of monopolization of big uh, corporations buying in now to the energy sector. I mean, they haven't mm. done that before. This is relatively new, but this kind of go, I, the way I first saw this, I was like, wait a minute, we know what Bill Gates has been up to in the United States with a massive land grab, and which has moved into, obviously, into his uh, portfolio. We're now seeing the big other big corporations, certainly the big well-known ones, Google, Amazon now buying into the power industry. Is this more of a consolidation of power towards certain groups and organizations? And will we potentially at one point, you know, perhaps not soon in the future, but far in the future, they may effectively eventually own all the power in a certain region. And you will perhaps see conflicts between intercorporation, the kind of thing we've seen in science fiction over the past, last 50 years. But you kind of see those plants now happening, um, you know, energy sector being driven by these big me mega corporations. Um, or is that something we're going to be going into? I don't know, but it certainly appears to be that way. Well, what's interesting you bring this up, uh, Christian, because I think uh, there's something else at play here. And uh, look at what happened uh, in Europe with Germany. 
as soon as the sanctions came uh, and they cut off Russian gas effectively from Europe, Germany was the first to suffer. And who, who suffered the most was German industry. So comp companies yeah. like BASF, Volkswagen, Siemens, they basically yeah. pulled up stakes left uh, to China, to the United States uh, to set up where there's cheaper overheads. And why was that? The biggest overhead that they couldn't stomach was the cost of energy, uh, plus the availability of energy. So they needed a steady stream at a fixed cost because they can't run their business on this sort of, you know, 400% fluctuations on the spot market, you know, every couple of weeks, depending on what the foreign policy is coming out of Washington. So what I see happening here is big companies that have the resources, they're like, no, we're going to basically buy our energy direct. We're going we're gonna to have our own little grid. We'll have a fixed cost. We will buy that as it gets pulled onto the grid anyway, but that allocation, they'll be able to fix their own price on. Um, so I, I can see companies like Amazon doing this and some of the big Google, the Googles, they're the only ones who can really afford to do this. So they're kind of competing against the energy companies and governments um, in, in order to sort of secure their own lot. The danger, Christian, of course, um, is if they get into this game, like if they get into the medical care game, okay, which Amazon is getting into, um, yes. then they're just basically going to consume the entire you know, the whole sections of the economy uh, because they're the ones with the cash to do it. And they can like, they, these people got a tremendous leverage, a company that size, they can issue shares, they can do buybacks, they can raise capital on the, on the backs of literally the, the, the paper that has floated on the, on the markets. So like they, they can do this. So I think they're shoring up their own interests first to get fixed costs for bottom lines, but that could lead to, I think, more monopolistic behavior by these companies, Christian. No, I, I think you're totally on the ball there. I think that is exactly what they're going for, is the ability to, to stabilize the market price for themselves, because, of course, they don't want to see them fluctuations happen. I mean, there was that situation that happened, I believe it was last year or the year before in Texas, you know, where there was the massive snowstorm that happened there. Everything got frozen, and all the, the power went to such a level of, of value that even comp companies, mega corporations, couldn't afford to even turn the grid on, because um, they would, ended, up, ended up in a really bad situation. So I think that Corporations like this don't want that to happen. Uh, I, I spoke to, uh, I rather emailed a company called Renewable UK, and they because they put out a news blurb getting counter to um, Amazon's uh, activity in regards to this. And uh, Nathan Bennett was the the person who replied, and they said the market for renewable energy is. Um, Agreements is now growing at an enormous rate. And exactly what you said there is that companies like Amazon, like Google, like Microsoft, or certainly Bill Gates, are indeed buying up mass land and mass power supply, potentially for the ability for what they want to do in the future, because they want it ultimately for themselves. And their appetite is just enormous. They want to see their electricity bills and come down, but they want to do it in the guise of supporting decarbonization. So it's total vertical supply chain. So, so this is the new, if you've got the means, this is the new model. Bill Gates, as you said, uh, he's, he's doing the sort of fake meat. So he wants all the sort of plant and cellulose uh, bulk material to feed into that. He's buying up the land. Uh, he's probably got shares in the, uh, you know, fertilizer business um, as well. Monsanto GMO business. I know he's heavily invested in that. So complete vertical supply chain domination. So that's exactly this kind of monopolistic behavior that we're seeing. Uh, this is going to run into kind of a wall at some point with antitrust suits. It's really going to challenge uh, basic, 
you know, regulations and checks and balances have been put in place uh, from the turn of the 20th century, uh, actually, during the robber baron era, Christian. Yeah. That's what I see coming. Yeah, for sure. So in, in the notes, I'm, so here, so Amazon has like multiple sites in the UK. It's got Cambridge, Edinburgh, Swansea, London. It has corporate offices in Manchester. It has uh, not only just data centers, but it has these distribution centers. I mean, ultimately, they want to be able to show that power for themselves here. And I guess if you take a big grab of the of the, the energy sector in the UK, you've got that. I mean, well, actually, as you know, one of the articles obviously wrote for 21st Century a long while back was about the energy uh, situation and what we face in the UK is a challenge. We still drag, you know, six to 10 gigawatts a day off the continent. We're not energy sufficient in this country yet. And uh, that perhaps is not going to happen if we, um, our power supply and our nuclear power supplies, these structures and these factories that haven't been built yet, um, what should have come online in 2025, 2026, that are not going to happen, that have been kicked back now to 2029. I mean, maybe this will be um, a saving grace for the government. But now you potentially have your government, sorry, you have uh, corporate interests now locked into government requirements. I mean, so this, they can actually sway in a very different way. They can have a, a full monopoly here um, because the government needs the energy. Um, they have the ability to sell it to the government, therefore, at a higher price. So that might well happen on the back burner to this, as well as adding to their green credentials that they could sell it at. This is unbridled capitalism in its rawest and most <laughs> massive form. I mean, so like uh, food supply, I know you little, you know a little bit about this business as well. Uh, big supermarket chains have also got into that, you know, vertical supply chain domination, buying up whole sort of farm operations and leasing out, you know, their, their tenancy agreements with the farmers that used to own those farms, still working, having turned around working, become effectively employees for some of these big, massive food retailers like Tesco, for instance. Um, and they're just kind of caught in this kind of indentured servitude, you know, almost like sharecropper sort of economy their rentier economy so you know those those big conglomerates they could get into the energy business as well i'm sure they're already into well they're into the food supply they're also into probably other things uh, in terms of oh, yeah. uh, organophosphates and you know the the fertilizer side and the energy side maybe yeah it's really interesting so in the uk we have like at least three of the major supermarkets actually also have their own bank. So Sainsbury's Bank, Tesco has a bank. Um, Asda, I think I'm not sure Asda has a bank, but um, they all operate and they are their own bank. They're not they're not subletting, you know, off an account to like Barclays or whatever. That is actually their their own banking sector. So effectively, they're lending money to themselves in a really nice way um, to to shore up, you know, great profits. And like you said, there they're, they're buying into the fertilizer industry. They're buying into the agriculture industry. Um, so you, if you go into a Tesco in the UK, you'll find there's always like these, these banner ads saying, look at our farmers here. They're all wonderful. Although the farmers, of course, have a very different story to that because they're getting driven down on cost and price and profit to the point where many of them, of course, are facing, you know, walking away from the farming industry entirely. Uh, and there's terrible stories what are coming out regarding their own mental health, their own workability um, and the, the, the challenges that they're facing on a day to day basis. But you mentioned um you mentioned soil there. You mentioned Monsanto. This was a story I shared to you a few weeks ago, and there's certainly some developments in this that uh, is worth going into, uh, whether you wanted to roll this on after the break or not. So we saw, uh, so Bayer has, um, Bayer, Monsanto, they obviously, they, they fused together in 2018 and they dropped the Monsanto because, of course, the negative um, connotations that has. So now it's just Bayer. So part of the... Um, 
plan, shall we say, potentially, is that they have rolled into genetically modified soil. And um, their role now what was, of course, they were once in the uh, the bioweapon industry, they were once in the, the bioagriculture industry. Now they want to potentially move forward by having a solution regarding the nitrate damaged soil and the low soil quality that's now happening because we've been degrading it over such time. And actually the reason why the farmers are angry is the way that they are. Um, because of course the environmental policies are to, we need the soil to be healthy. We need it to be fertile again. And using nitrates and ammonia is damaging them. That is true. So we have Bayer, the world's biggest pharmaceutical company and um, of, of industry and agriculture now moving into that very sector. Um, and they want to produce now biosoils. So now beyond the article that I shared to you that came out of Uncut, it's actually really quite a good article. Um, and the kind of the fears they have even within their own uh, network and their own internal communications have already been leaked already about the worry about how they're going to handle what happens when the soil starts leaching into other adjacent farms. You know, how will the... Um, the bills work because I don't know if you remember, Patrick. So Monsanto famously, when it was uh, using Roundup, which of course is their pesticide, um, if you're, it worked in tandem with their growth of seeds. So the idea is that the seeds was protected from Roundup. Roundup was protected from the seeds, so that the, the uh, you could use the pesticide and it, the crop would still grow healthily. But what was happening, of course, was the seeds were being shared to other farms that are nearby, and then. Monsanto was actually going after those farms for using their effectively copyright patented stock. Um, so this worry now is that, of course, if this happens with genetically modified soil, this potentially has a legality and a legislation issue kicking down the road, potentially where you see, um, you know, farms potentially using soil, using fertilizer uh, that might well be copyrighted, shall we say, by patented by an adjacent farm and company. Um, so there's a big risk around this. So I saw that Euroactive did a really good article on this. They were talking about it in regards to an article that happened in the European Parliament yesterday. So uh, the European Parliament discussed this. They have now renamed genetically modified soils to have the new terminology of NGT. And I think everyone should keep an eye on this. This is new NGT. genomic NGT, so new genomic technologies. So they voted mm. 307 in favour against 263 to move across with it, to move into um, these NGT, these genetically modified soils. So multiple parties and multiple um, groups within um, the MEPs clearly like it and dislike it. They clearly are issues going on here. Um, the idea is that they've rebranded it because they doesn't want the negative connotations going on. So they have renamed them NGT1 and NGT2. The first one is gene-edited plants that are indistinguishable from conventional breeding and natural um, agriculture process. And that NGT2 would be genetically modified complex um, built from the ground up to be resistant to soil. So they now want to roll these out across Europe as a as a plan. Uh, so there's a commission proposal. However, the proposal is that currently, uh, when it comes to mandatory labeling, they cannot be labeled as genetically modified or NGT. Uh, only the seeds will be labeled as that. So farmers can buy NGT seeds uh, and NGT plants. They would not know whether they are natural, organic, or modified. So that runs into a, uh, a hard line there. So the MEPs are 
currently debating this. So I think if you are in contact with any European members of parliament, it is definitely worth keeping this conversation on the ball. They had a big discussion about it yesterday. It is, um, it, they're juggling it. They don't know what they're going to be doing, whether they're actually going to be moving forward with actually um, using the stock, using the products, but certainly the labeling has been discussed and how that we move forward. I mean, and their, their discussions really are coming out of the soil is damaged. We need to move forward with this. This is what the farmers are talking about. It. This needs to happen. And then they're pressuring this to happen by the first, or sorry, the second week of February to decide um, how this will roll out um, across the uh, European continent. So I will drop a link in there because this, this dropped yesterday. And I was like, this is uh, exactly on the ball for what we're discussing. So let me just drop that in everyone's chat uh, box on here. Um, so, so the so European Parliament. So they're rebranding GMO. They're rebranding GMO because GMOs are just a damaged brand. It's been completely, you know, de destroyed many times over. It's been ravaged by activists and people like that. So by rebranding it, it's amazing. NGT1, NGT2, they get people arguing uh, between one and two. So this is just a total gaslighting operation here by yes. by industry. I mean, so uh, there's. The, I, I hope I hope the the activist. Uh, community that's been opposing rightfully so uh the proliferation of uh genetically modified organisms into our food supply uh that they're getting wise on this and going to be able to sort of counteract this propaganda because that's all it is this is just corporate propaganda yeah for sure so uh bayer's moving forward with its own soil uh, micro modification as it's calling it so they want to enter uh, what does it mean so it's not Bayer as such, it's actually subcontracted to a company called Ginkgo Bioworks, and they're based out of Holland. So, and again, the, their own reports are that what will happen is if it enters the food supply, they don't know. And they, the, the, the uh, on the link that I'll post into the chat now, which I've just posted in there from Uncut News, is an internal memo that got leaked. And they were really worried that there's going to be unintended consequences to uh, live natural and organic foods if the how the soil will interact with wild species and how that will be legislated when it comes to um, um, if the crop gets out there, how, who owns what and how will it work? Because ultimately they don't, they haven't patented it yet. So it doesn't have a patent. So when that happens, I mean, they're going to be all over this and they certainly, the big corporations are going to be wanting to hammer that home as such. Um, the European union parliament um, doesn't want to patent it as such. And that will be up for the discussion this week. So if you There's are watching two, this, yeah. So yeah, go give that a shout out. Um, how people could uh, possibly voice their objection to this, Christian? Yes, to my understanding, so the European Parliament does air all its stuff live, um, and MEPs are contactable. I mean, also they are going to be voting on this. They are going to be discussing it, and, and they. I mean, that's at three oh seven to two six nine. Vote is pretty close. I mean, that has swung it in regards to holding off on doing more research into it. But ultimately, we need to swing that 307 back the other way and say this is something we should not be doing as yet, despite the fact that potentially it might be the way out of this current crisis. Well, uh, th th there's also something you said about um, g government getting in and backing and supporting the organic farming sector, which they never really have done properly. We posted a really good piece by Julian Rose uh, on 21st Century Wire, and he's kind of very much on the front lines of the Polish farmer protests, which are kicking off uh, tomorrow, February 9th, all across the country. And if anyone doesn't know, 
Poland is is an agricultural powerhouse uh, in Europe. They're one of the biggest agriculture producers uh, in Europe, and they're up in arms over all of these policies that are affecting all these people in France, Holland, etc. Poland has their own problems with cheap, uh, substandard, and uh, low-quality Ukrainian goods that are being dumped on the market there. That's just one issue, I think. But it's also the organic issue, Julian Rose, uh, who we've had on the program before, uh, to talk about other issues. But uh, we have published his piece up at 21 Wire, and he really makes the appeal here that we need to get back to common sense, uh, traditional farming methods, and that these are, in the long term, more prosperous and more profitable uh, for local communities. Maybe not at the corporate transnational level, but they are very successful for the community and for countries uh, as their as individual countries, so um, I, I hope that the I, I'm unfortunately Christian. A lot of lobbying goes on in Brussels, um, so all these things that you're talking about here, there's some big, big interests, big money lobbying for this in Brussels and in Washington too. There's two things I'll say real quick, and we'll go to break. But with food, there's the minerals that the vegetables take from the soil; those are being depleted. That's the real problem actually and the other is bacteria bacteria is good that's what makes soil work this is what makes seeds germinate they're wanting to sterilize this whole process and and if we don't get those good bacteria and minerals then we our guts for our gi tracts as humans consuming the food are not going to be a good health either so i think they've got the whole thing wrong uh, they've had it wrong from the beginning, and they continue to get it wrong, Christian. Um, they're just getting it wrong on a much bigger level now. That's quite frightening. Uh, you're talking about GM soil. I mean, goodness gracious, unbelievable stuff. But uh, look, we're going to go to break in a minute. Uh, yeah, your final thoughts, Christian. Go ahead. Yeah, just uh, I think the idea of synthetic soil obviously opens a whole can of worms or perhaps won't even fund the worms. Obviously, worms, they feed off the minerals <laughs> in the bacteria that's in the in the, uh, pun. In the ground. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we need, all need to keep an eye on this because this this is it's at, the, it's at the crux of the farmer's conflict, you know, and this is now about to roll out. I find that to be very suspicious in terms of its, uh, in terms of its timing. That's all. No, definitely. I appreciate you bringing this uh, very important story, Christian, to everybody's attention. I think people need to get active on this really quick because things are moving fast. We're also going to bring, uh, hopefully, Julian Rose, uh, who is a pioneer in organic farming, uh, one of the leading pioneers, in fact, uh, in the UK. Uh, he was recognized uh, by the establishment even for that many years ago uh, with the title of Sir Julian Rose for his great work uh, in agriculture. He, he will get him on the program to talk about this as the Polish farming protests kick off tomorrow uh, in Central Europe. But uh, Christian James, our research assistant for the show, as always, we really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. No, thank you very much. I've dropped those links into the uh, into the TNT chat, so hopefully people can get uh, aware of what the situation is, what's going on. So, thank you very much. Yeah, get get that information and share. Thank you, Christian, for dropping that in there, and also a big thank you to our other guests, Basil Valentine, our correspondent uh, in the second hour with that great Middle East uh, update and commentary on the latest there, and of course in the first hour, Michael Tracy, a fantastic journalist from the United States. 
Michael's take on the 2024 election, the Tucker Carlson Putin interview. That's live on X today, Twitter, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 11 p.m. UK time. Tune into X Twitter, follow Tucker Carlson, and watch this bombshell interview that everybody is going to be watching. I guarantee it. Listen, that's all we've got time for today. Really appreciate you guys joining us, our TNT chat community as well. We love you guys, all of our listeners, all of our viewers. We'll be signing off today, but we'll be back uh, tomorrow, same time, same place, with a slightly different program, uh, scheduled program as well. Hope to see you guys all there. Take care, everybody. All the best. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host, signing out.